Thank you for listening to the Cathedral Church Podcast. We hope this resource inspires you and equips you to walk in everything that God has for you. Preparing for 2020. Looking back now with hindsight, which is perfect vision, I can see how the hand of God's been moving us week by week. And it's important that we understand that. It's also important that we know that uh, how we process our past experiences, 2019, determines how well we enter our future successes in 2020. How well you process your past determines how well you enter into your future. So it's important. Moments like this are important. Last Sunday, on January the 5th, we preached the message, Reset. You have to press the button to restore life settings. You have to do a hard reset on your life like you do a device and clear out everything and restore it to factory settings. God said, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you, I anointed you, I set you apart. He says, I know, I, I know the plans that I have for you. And that's your factory settings. But life has a way of fouling all that up, corrupting it with files and apps and information. And so you have to do a hard reset from time to time and clear all that out and get back to God's original intention for your life. You have to know that. You have to know that a new year begins with a new you. It's not just a calendar. It's a new you. And then Wednesday night, on the 8th, we preached on empty your pockets. For those of you that were here or have been here in the past, you know the, you know the routine that we go through. We've done it now about five times. And, and uh, it's just built on the tradition of the Jews where at the beginning of their new year at Rosh Hashanah, they find a body of water and they go to it and, and they empty their pockets of past sins and mistakes and regrets and failures and they empty their pockets of the change of the previous year. And change is what's left over after something's been broken. So they unload themselves of all the brokenness. And it's based on Micah talking about you'll cast our sins into the ocean. And so they cast out their previous year and they kind of do a house cleaning. And we made the statement that the past can't be changed. It can only be forgiven. Okay. And then today on the 12th, today we're going to be speaking on the bitter waters of Mara here in the book of Exodus chapter 15, verses 22 through 27. Now, this is a story that most of us are familiar with, and we'll get into it here in just a moment, but I just want to start out by making a real clear statement here that this is after the 10 plagues the deliverance from Egypt, the crossing of the Red Sea, the drowning of Pharaoh and his chariots. They're three days into the journey and suddenly they come to the bitter waters of Marah. And it is here that, a, that something takes place that's powerful in the nation of Israel. God pauses for just a moment to have a heart-to-heart -heart with them because he's concerned about the Israelites. And just in this moment, at these bitter waters, Perhaps in this moment, Jehovah did not want the Israelites to carry the parasites of their Egyptian experience into their promised land settlement. 
So there had to be a purging. Let's call this the bitter waters of Marah. Reading Exodus chapter 15 and verse 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah, which means bitter. And the people complained against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. And said, if you diligently heed to the voice of the Lord your God and do what's right in his sight, if you give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you, which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees, and so they camped there by the waters. Father, bless the reading of your word. Give us revelatory knowledge, insight into what you're saying to us today, ears to hear and hearts to understand. We speak it in Christ's name and the church said amen. 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 I want you to notice here just in the beginning that there are three messages that I mentioned and three numbers. Now, I don't want to get mystical on you and get weird and strange, but I just want to create a moment perhaps that will awaken your faith and awaken hope but three messages and three numbers. On January the 5th, which means grace, we talked about the grace to reset your life. On January the 8th, which means a new beginning, we talked about emptying your pockets for a new beginning. And then today on the 12th, the number meaning God's power, placing things in a perfect order for governmental foundation as we are headed into the bitter waters of Mara. Three messages, three numbers, five, eight, and 12. Grace, new beginning, and a power to set the foundation, the governmental foundation. And all this just dovetails in with what the prophetic word was this morning that was released. It just all comes together. And so there's a thought to stand on as we go into the new year 2020. There is a grace for a new beginning to lay the foundation for this coming year. There's a grace for a new beginning to lay the foundation. You need to get firm footing for 2020, amen? You need firm footing for this coming year. So today, we continue with this progression, resetting our life, emptying our pockets, and now the bitter waters of Mara, where there's a purging that needs to take place. Mara. We understand this statement, uh, rather it's in business, uh, or in, in any field, but what do you do when you hit the wall? Now, we talk a lot about that sports. How many runners do we have in the house? Raise your hand. You're, boy, we're way out of shape. My God. <laughs> okay, Miles, is, you're my brother. You saved me. I got one guy in the church is healthy. Jesus. Too many chips and queso. So, now I, look, I, I was in the gym yesterday, but I have to be honest with you, I'm not a runner. I just, I, I played a little football, I get that, but I just can't run. I hated sprints. And, uh, you know, I'm just not a runner, I'm not built for it. But, but in, in sports, we understand what it means to hit the wall, to hit that place. Now, 
the definition of hitting the wall means complete exhaustion or fatigue, a sudden end to advancement or progress to lose effectiveness. There are times in sports and business and in life when you hit the wall, you just hit it and you're exhausted and you're fatigued. You've lost your advancement and progress and you, don't, you no longer feel effective. There are those on the web that are watching right now, those in this room that you know what I'm talking about. You've hit the wall. You've hit it. You can do this spiritually too where you hit the wall and you just stop advancing. You feel like you're not making any progress. You feel like you're stuck and you're absolutely worn, slap out. Is there anyone in here that can identify with, with being exhausted, fatigue? just wore out because you've hit the wall. Now in verse 22, it says Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, okay? Now before that, Egypt, the plagues, this has been, a, been an interesting time for this group of people. And so he just brought them from the Red Sea. They went into the wilderness of Shur and they went three days and they found no water. So you can understand where these people are. They just toppled the greatest empire on the earth at that time. This was a traumatic experience for them. They come out of Egypt and they're coming out with a shout, but suddenly they come up to the Red Sea and the, the chariots of Pharaoh are right behind them. Suddenly God reaches down and he blows a hole in the Red Sea and they cross the Red Sea and then the water the water uh, just flows back in and drowns uh, the chariots of Pharaoh and they go three days into the wilderness and now they've come to Shur, which means in the Hebrew, they've come and they've hit a wall. They've hit a wall and they just, they don't know what to do. This is a tough time for the nation of Israel. They hit a wall. This is tough. And you have to know there are certain facts about hitting the wall, whether it's a sports, business, life, or spiritually. There are some facts about the wall. Number one, the wall is intimidating and it's debilitating. Anytime that I've hit a wall, it's intimidating and it will shut you down. It can do it. Those of you that are runners and, and, and you do marathons, it's my understanding that the wall for most of them is around 20 miles. I can't imagine running 20 miles. I, the wall for me is like half a mile and I'm, I'm done. I'm not a runner. I can't, 20 miles, I, they'd have to send the paramedics to get, I couldn't even get there. there I mean, I'm not, never gonna get there. Never gonna get there, so don't even try. But, but I understand that runners will hit that wall and the wall is a break or make point. It's gonna either make you or break you. And, you, and, and when you hit the wall, it's intimidating and it can shut you down. Number two, the wall is necessary though concerning your training. You're gonna get this, you've gotta get this for the next level. You've gotta know that. You've gotta hit the wall. You've got to hit the wall in order to go to the next level because the wall is gonna cause you to reach down inside of yourself and find a power that you never knew you had. You've gotta hit the wall. It's a part of the training. Number three, the wall is stationary and it demands movement on your part. You can say, pastor, I've hit the wall. Well, it ain't going anywhere. You're gonna to have to do something. You say, my business, my life, spiritually, I've hit the wall, then you're gonna to have to do something. You say, but, but I don't know what to do. Listen, you've got to know that the wall is not going away. 
It's stationary and you've got to do something. Number four, the wall is a natural point of separation of the weak and the strong. This is where we separate the men and the boys. This is where we separate followers and leaders. When you hit the wall, when you hit that wall, the majority of people will back off. They'll give up on the business. They'll give up on their spiritual advancement. They'll give up on life. They'll give up and they fall back into mediocrity. They just fall back and they lose their passion because it's too hard. The wall will separate the men from the boys, the winners from the losers, those that change the world and those that spend their life on the couch eating Doritos and watching TV, those that can make a difference in other people's lives and those that just let life happen to them. Listen, the wall brings a separation. It's that breaking point. Number five, the wall is obstructing you and obstructing your vision of what lies beyond. And that's what you've got to grab this morning. That when you hit the wall, you have to know that there's something beyond it. It's obstructing you of where God wants to take you, what God wants to do in your life. There's a wall, but it's obstructing your vision. And you have to know this, the higher the wall, the greater the possibilities. I have found the higher the wall that I hit, the greater the possibilities beyond that wall. There's a world beyond it that God wants me to see. Listen, Israel goes through the plagues of Egypt, the, the, the parting of the waters of, of the Red Sea, and now they've come into shore and they've hit a wall. But beyond that wall is a land that's filled with promises. Think about it. And the greater the wall, the greater the possibilities. Some of you have hit a wall and it has stopped you dead in your tracks. But you have to know that beyond that wall, there's something great. There is something great that's waiting for you. And you've got to get past this moment. This is your make or break moment. And you have to know this, that when you hit a wall, you need to climb it because it's not, it's not a wall, it's a ladder to the next level. When you hit a wall, when you hit a wall, you've got to know that this wall is a ladder to your next level. It's going to take you. You have to understand walls. When you hit a wall, you've got to climb this wall because then it takes you to a new level. And then when you hit the next wall, you have to climb it because it takes you to the next level. Are you with me this morning? See, you think you go over a wall and then you go down and you keep going. That's not it. You go up the wall and you go to a new level. And then you go up the next wall and you go to the next level. What you've hit is not a wall, it's a ladder, so climb it. Climb it. You can't get to the next level without climbing the wall. You've got to do it. It's a wall. So turn and tell someone, it's not a wall, it's a ladder. Climb it. They hit sure, which means wall in the Hebrew, flat out, stopped them in their tracks. And when, what are we gonna do now? What they didn't understand is this was a, this was a moment, this was a test. You see, this is where the wood meets the water, where the wood meets the water. Verse 25. 
So Moses, standing there facing this wall, he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast it into the waters, the waters became sweet. Where the wood meets the water. Mara, as I said, means better. Now this is one writer and research, and, and, and there'll be those that may not agree with it, and may, maybe those that question, uh, how did you discover this? But I'm gonna give it to you, and it's just food for thought. But the, the waters of Mara, this one writer says that it's 92% calcium and magnesium. Now those are the ingredients of a laxative. So maybe this was a moment. Now I understand the present application for Israel, the practical application and the prophetic application. But So we're gonna take this as a prophetic application right now for us. I, but this was a moment perhaps where God wanted to clean Israel out of all the parasites of Egypt. Because Egypt was filled with idolatry. And Israel had picked up some bad habits. Maybe they picked up some parasites. We see it in this story whenever they hit this wall. They said, okay, what are we going to do now, Moses? What are we going to drink? The, this people, they kept coming back to Moses time and time again saying, why didn't you leave us in Egypt? It would have been better for us to have died there than die in this wilderness. At one point in Numbers 14, God got so fed up with them, he told Moses, step out of the way, said, I'm going to kill every one of them. And just me and you are going to start over. Moses intervened and said, you can't do that. This is going to ruin your reputation. And so God relented. But you have to know that this was a, this was a tough crowd to work with. And, and God brings them tomorrow for a reason. And, and perhaps it's because he needed to purge and cleanse them of all the bad habits they picked up from the Egyptians. You can pick stuff up from the world. You know that? You can pick up some parasites. A parasite is something that, uh, it's an organism that lives on another. You can pick up a parasite and it can get in your gut and it can make you sick. And perhaps this was a moment for God just to do a purging with the nation of Israel and let's, let's I've gotten you out of Egypt, but now let me get Egypt out of you. So looking at this, number one, I want you to know that God will use a bitter situation to purge you of an unhealthy condition. He'll take a bitter situation to purge you of an unhealthy condition. You've got some stuff in you, God needs to work it out. Okay, perhaps the purpose of Mara was to purge the Israelites of the parasites. Two concerns here, two concerns though that you've got to look at. The first one is the drink of bitterness. I, do, Pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. I understand. It's, it's a challenge. You got to drink this thing. But the second thing you need to concern yourself with is what's the purpose of the drink? What is it that God's trying to work out of you? When I go through a storm, I'm concerned about my storm, but I'm also asking the question, what is it God's trying to work out of me in the midst of this storm? What is it that God's trying to purge me of? I'm concerned about the bitter waters of Mara, and I'm going to drink this, and I don't want to drink this. This is tough, but what is it God's trying to get out of my gut? 
What is it God's trying to purge from my life? What unhealthy condition of 2019 do you need to purge this morning? Because how well you process your past determines how well you enter into your success of the future. So the question is, what is it God's trying to purge out of my life? Number two, here looking at verse 25, you have to know that when you apply the cross to a bitter situation, it turns sweet. He said to Moses, take the wood and throw it into the water where the wood meets the water. You see, in this moment this morning, no matter how bitter your situation is, if you apply the cross, it will turn your bitter situation into something sweet. Because when you attach purpose to suffering, it becomes bearable, bearable, Romans 8. And we know we're going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. We go through exactly what Christ goes through. If we go through the hard times with him, then we're certainly going to go through the good times with him. When you give purpose to suffering, it becomes bearable. And you have to realize that everything you're going through in life, it's a part of your training. God's trying to work something out of you. He's trying to work something in you. He's trying to take you to a new level. He's trying to take you there. But let me tell you something, just an encouraging word. I have found that with each wall I hit, the higher the wall, the higher the possibilities. But I've learned that with each new level I go to, there's a new level of devils that I have to fight. So if the devil you had down there that you thought was so bad, don't compare it to the devil you're going to find here. The older I get, the bigger my devils get. Great are the possibilities. Great are the possibilities. Think about that. So you have to understand that God has purpose in your suffering. He's trying to work something in and out of you and through you. He's trying to teach you something. You have to know this, that one reason for climbing walls is so we can help others over. You say, I've hit a wall, I know you have, but God wants you to climb it so you can help somebody else get up. That's why you're going through this. Every storm I go through, every trial I face, every testing, I remind myself, you're learning something, you're going through something so you can pull somebody up behind you. You gotta do that, guys, you gotta learn that. You gotta learn that, or else you're gonna spend the rest of your life being a victim. You gotta understand, you're not a victim, you're a victor. You're not a victim of your past. You're a victor of your future. We've said it before. You've got to realize that God is trying to bring you through something so you can pull somebody up behind you. You've got to know that. You've got to get that in your spirit. The reason we go through hell is so we can show others the way back. That's why we go through hell. We've said it many times. We've said it many times. You say, Pastor, I'm going through hell. I know you are, but show us the way back. You've got to go through this thing. You can't stop halfway. You've got to go through it. And you, so you can show us how to get back. Fight the fight. You got to do this so you can show others, this is how you get back. You got to do it. This is a moment when the wood meets the water. In any bitter situation, you've got to apply the cross. The Bible says, if you suffer with him, you'll reign with him. And everybody says, amen. amen. Well, I love it raining. It's rain with him. Yeah, but you got to suffer first. You, you, see, we don't quote that part of it. We, we're real soft on that front end. We're going to suffer with him. So we ran with him. King's kids. Woo! I'm going to get a crown. I'm going to get a throne. Yeah. His crown's a crown of thorns. 
See, but we're, we just, we, we leave that part off, but you gotta suffer with him so you can reign with him. You gotta split it with him. Say, you gotta split it. You gotta split it. Yeah, you gotta split it. You, you, it's, you, you gotta suffer with him. You gotta bear this load with him so you can reign with him. Well, let me tell you something. You can't reign correctly until you've learned to suffer well. Oh, where did that come from? Oh. Oh my Lord. See, there's a problem. One of the, pro I, I've told staff through the years, people that I've interviewed and people that other ministers, I said, look, don't you ever work for a man. Don't ever work for a man that doesn't walk with a limp. Don't ever work for a man that hasn't suffered. Don't ever work for a man that hasn't wrestled with God at Penal and walked away with a limp. Be careful with that. Don't ever work for a man that has an unfulfilled vision like Saul because those that have unfulfilled visions, they have a tendency to throw spears at people. Be careful. I've talked about different things and one of the things that I look for in men and women of God is brokenness. What have you been through? Where have you been? Talk to me about Penal and you wrestling with God. Show me your limp. Show me your brokenness. Show me your scars. Come on, you can't reign well. You cannot reign well until you've learned how to suffer well. You've got to learn how to go through it. Fight the good fight and keep a sweet spirit and come out of that thing. Then and only then can you use authority correctly. Otherwise, you'll abuse people. You have to be careful with that. Where the wood meets the water. You've got to apply the cross. You say, Pastor, I'm going through it right now. Apply the cross. You say, Pastor, I'm in a storm. Apply the cross. Pastor, I'm at the bitter waters of Mara. Apply the cross. Apply the cross. You've got to apply the cross. You've got to suffer with him so you can reign with him. You've got to go through this. You've got to go over this. You've got to go under this. You've got to go around this. You've got to find a way, but you've got to go. You can't stay still. You've got to go. You've got to because the next level awaits you, and you've got to show us the way. You've got to do this. You have to know that Israel hit a wall. You have to know that Israel found the place where the wood has to meet the water. You have to know that they, they came to a place of their greatest test. Their greatest test. Verse 26. That's the place. That's the place where God set up rules and procedures at the bitter waters of Mara. You know, I've learned more at the bitter waters of Mara than I have at the sweet waters of Elm. Elam, excuse me. It's, it's at Mara that you learn the most. I wish it was on the mountain, but it's in the valley. But this was the place where God set up the rules and procedures. That's where he started testing them. And God said, number one, notice, if you listen obediently to how God tells you to live in his presence, number two, if you obey his commandments, keep his law, number three, I won't strike you with all the diseases that I inflicted on the Egyptians because I'm God, your healer. You know, it's funny because the Jews in the Talmud and historical writings, they call this when bitter hits bitter. The bitter water of Marah hit the bitterness of the people of Israel. And there was a reaction. When bitter hits bitter. I want you to see this just a little bit differently. 
when the bitter moment of Marah revealed the bitterness of their hearts and three concerns of Jehovah God. I want you to go back to verse 26, guys. Put it up, I've got it numbered. Go back and let them see and leave it there for just a moment. Number one. Number one, he said, I need you to listen to me. I'm gonna tell you how to live in my presence. God's first concern was with the Jewish people trust him. You have to understand, as I mentioned earlier, they go through the 10 plagues, the toppling of a great empire, the crossing of the Red Sea, the drowning of the chariots of Pharaoh, and now they've hit this wall, and these people are traumatized. They are traumatized. I know that they're afraid of him because what happens later. Israel was afraid of God. That's why they put God in a box, the Ark of the Covenant, so they can contain him and control him and carry him around on their shoulders. When, they, when he got outside the box, it made them nervous. When we get in a service and God gets outside the box, everybody starts getting nervous because we like to contain him and control him and limit him. We're more comfortable with God in the box. But when God gets outside the box, everybody gets nervous. And so Israel is afraid of God. You have to understand, all they ever saw of God was what he did in Egypt. My God, he's gonna put frogs in my bed, lice in my hair. I mean, that's what they thought. He's gonna flip the flow of the Red River and drown me. That's all they ever saw. It's just God. He's just angry. God's mad. And so he says to them, listen, I, I wanna teach you how to live in my presence. I want you to learn how to be with me. I want you to know me. I want you to learn about me. You see, being in God's presence is a dangerous thing. It is. The Bible says that God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. But understand, it's not that God reached down and touched his heart and went, bing, you got a hard heart now. That's not what happened. You see, God walked into the room and then he said here in our verse, in verse 26, he said, and I need you to obey my commandments, okay? I need you to obey my commandments. So, so God walks into the room of Pharaoh, his presence comes into the room, he releases this word through Moses, and Pharaoh had a decision, he had a choice. He could either, he could either humble himself in the presence of God and submit to the word of the Lord, or he could choose not to. And when he chose not to, his heart got hard. You understand that? God didn't do that. Moses, excuse me, Pharaoh made a choice. And so in a service like this, that's why it's so dangerous in a service like this, because with knowledge comes responsibility. You let the Holy Spirit start moving and convicting people of sin, and I promise you, they have a choice to make. They either humble themselves to God and repent of their sin, or their heart can get just a little bit harder. And that's where a man can get to the place where he sees good as evil and evil as good. Where a man can begin to justify his actions, we call that a reprobate mind. Where suddenly we live with our sin and we're comfortable with it. I can have my wife and a girlfriend on the side because it's okay, because God understands me. You see, our heart gets hard. And that's what happened to Pharaoh. And so God has Israel at Shur, the wall, and he stops them there. It's okay, guys, look, we, we, we gotta stop and talk for a minute. Before we go any further into this relationship, I need to talk to you guys. Number one, I, I, need, to, I need to teach y'all how to live in my presence. I need y'all to learn how to live with me. I need to teach y'all. Number two, I, I, I need to know that you're gonna be faithful to me. 
Okay. I, number one, I need to know. I, I, you, I, I need to know that I can trust you, and you're going to trust me. How to live with me. Okay. Number two, I, I need to know that you're going to be faithful to me. That, this is what God's dealing with Israel. Because Israel, all they know of God is 10 plagues and blow a hole in the Red Sea. This is an angry God. They're scared to death of him. That's why on the mount with the 10 commandments, they told Moses, you go talk to him and come back and tell us what he, what he said, but we don't want to talk to him. He scares us. And so God here stops them and says, okay, let's, let's talk about some things. I need to know, number one, I need to know that, that you're, you're going to trust me. I, I want to teach you how to live with me. and You're going to be in my presence and, and you're going to trust me. And we're going to have a relationship. Number two, I didn't know that, that you're going to be faithful to me. And then number three, after Egypt, how would the people, the Jewish people view him? Because he says, look, I, I, I need to know that, that, that I, I, I want you to learn how to live with me. And I want to know that I can trust you and you can trust me. I, I want you to know my heart. I want you to trust me. And I want to know that you're going to be faithful to my word. And, 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 and hey, guys, I'm, I'm the Lord that heals you. I, all them plagues of Egypt, I'm not going to bring that on you. I'm the Lord that heals you. I'm not the Lord that curses you. Pharaoh brought that on himself. I'm the Lord that heals you. God wanted the people of Israel to know him and to understand him. Living in his presence, walking in his word will determine your understanding of Father God. Walking in his presence, living in his word will determine your understanding of Father God. Do you see him as an angry God or do you see him as a loving father? And God said to Israel, I, I, want, to, I want to talk to you. I, look, I, I know what you've seen in the past. I know your past experience with me. I know what you think about me. I know you're afraid of me. I know you think I'm an angry person. And I, but, but listen, let, let me just talk to you. Let me, let me teach you about who I am. You know, when I read this, I found that Jehovah God wanted Israel to understand him. He said, I just want you to understand me. He wanted them to know who he is. And so he said, my name is Yod-Heh-Vah-Heh, Lord Jehovah. He said, my name is Jehovah. It means self-existent. It means come to pass. The all-sufficient one. He was saying, I, I want to introduce myself to you guys. Because remember, when Moses was first confronted at the burning bush, he said, who do I tell them sent me? He said, tell them that I am that I am. He said, they're not going to believe me. They don't know you. They don't, who am I going to tell them sent me? And so here at Shur, he is saying to them, hey, guys, can I introduce myself to you? My name is Jehovah. I'm the all-sufficient one. I'm all that you need. I'm self-existent. I will come to pass. I'll be there for you when you need me. He introduces himself to them. And then he wanted them to know what he does. And the word heal, he says, I'm the Lord that heals you. It means to men, repair or cure, a physician who heals hurts of men and nations, to heal personal distress, to make healthful. So he introduces himself to Israel for the, really for the first time. He says, okay, we toppled Egypt. We come to the Red Sea. We're three days into the wilderness. I know you guys are 
you're traumatized by all you've seen. So can we have a formal introduction? Hi, I'm Jehovah Rapha. Can I teach you about my presence? I need to know I can trust you with who I am. I need to know that you're not going to misrepresent me. I need to know I can trust you. And I need to know that you're going to obey my word, that you're going to cherish my word. I I need to know that. I I need to know that you you understand me. I I need to know this. It's important to me. I, I just... I want to know, how, how do you view me? Do you see me as a, as a God of, of the 10 plagues and the Red Sea? Or do you, do you see me as a loving father? And all I want to do is make you whole. My name is Jehovah Rapha. I'm the, I'm the Lord that heals you. I'm the Lord that's always there for you. I'm the all-sufficient one. I am the one that will come to pass. My word will come to pass. I will keep my word. Am I preaching to you this morning? Are you? I, my word will. He's, he's telling them, listen, you can trust me, but can I trust you? I'll keep my word. Will you keep your word? Listen, they're at the bitter waters of Mara. They've hit a wall and God says, good. We, we, need, to, we need to talk. Because you really don't know who I am. And I really know, I really need to know I can trust you. And I need you to know you can trust me. And I need to know that you're going to walk in my word. I want to know how you view me. The father was concerned about how his children viewed him. How many knows that God wants to be understood? Yeah, he does. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to spend time with you. And he wants to get to know you and you to get to know him. And he said, can I do a formal introduction? I'm Jehovah Rapha. I am the all-sufficient one. I am the one that exists. And if you spin it up thousands of years to Acts chapter 17, verse 28, the writer said, in him we live and we move and we have our being or it can be translated existence, or it can be translated, I exist. He is the existing one, and in him, I exist. My life happens inside him. Outside of Christ, life is meaningless. But in Christ, my life finds purpose. In him, I exist. Wow. Jehovah. Jeremiah 8 and 22. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? So then, or excuse me, why then is there no recovery for the health of the daughter of my people? God's, God's asking a question here. It's a rhetorical question. If there's a bomb and there's a physician, why aren't there miracles? How many of you have always looked at the balm of Gilead as anointing oil or some cream you rub on? Okay. The word Gilead in the Hebrew means heel of testimony. So let's read it again. Is there no testimony? Is there no physician? So then why is there no healing? You see, the answer to God's rhetorical question is, 
Where there is praise for the physician, his power will respond. His power responds to our praise. Wasn't there a writer who said, I am enthroned on the praises of Israel? The more we praise him, the stronger this becomes a throne zone. The more we praise him, the more power is released. Is there not a bomb in Gilead? Is there not a praise in the house, a testimony, a hill of testimony? This place should become a hill of testimony. My mind, when I was topping this out, went back to the 50s and the tent revivals and, and how they used to bring the wheelchairs and the, and the stretchers and, the, and, and, and all, the, all the things, and they put them on the sides of the room, the walls, they, they, the crutches. They, some of you older people remember seeing the pictures of A.A. A. Allen or whoever, and, and, and they put the wheelchairs and, and, the, and the crutches and the stretchers, and they stick them up on the wall. And you're looking on that, and I'm thinking, that's, that's the heel of testimony. That, that's, that's the testimony in the Old Testament. Hebrew means do it again. So when people come in and they see a wheelchair, they go, if he did it for him, he'll do it for me. Because the New Testament says that he's not a respecter of persons. So you have to, do you see that this morning? Is there no testimony in the house? Is there no praise in the house? Is the physician not here? Then why aren't people being healed? It's a rhetorical question. The point is, if there's no miracles, it's because we're not praising him, we're not empowering him, we're not enthroning him. He's not here like he'd like to be. That's why 10 minutes of worship won't get the job done, pastors across America. You gotta give it time. You gotta worship him. You gotta praise him. I'm not interested in just getting you in and getting you out. I'm interested in, in setting him on his throne so people can get some help up in here. Praise for the physician releases his power. Stephen, come help me. So we find ourselves here. Three messages, three numbers. A grace to reset our lives. Huh. The opportunity to empty our pockets and start with a new beginning. And then here today with the bitter waters of Mara, the number 12, which means the power of God wants to come in and set a foundation for the rest of this year where we will be the church that we need to be. Take our place. I believe that Jehovah Rapha wants to do a formal introduction to Southeast Texas. He wants people to gather here week after week, line up to get in the building and come in here and for you and I to say, this is Jehovah Rapha and introduce him because they don't understand who he is. Why did God let that happen? Why did God do this? Why is God so angry? Why does God strike Puerto Rico? Why does God do this? Why did God let that plane get blown up in Iran? Why does God doing this there? What's that happening? He's angry, God's angry, God's mad. People are afraid of God. That's why we create religion or denominations so we can put him in a box and control him. Don't let him out of the box. It scares people. 
People have told me through the years, and I've told you this before, don't use the word apostolic. Don't use the word prophetic. Don't pray in the altars like you do. You scare people. Keep God in a box. Keep him in the box. Keep him in the box and trolling. People don't know who God is. They don't understand him. They think God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Pharaoh made a choice. And you need to know that this morning. In this room right here, when you feel the presence of God, when you feel conviction, when the word of the Lord is released and you have understanding and revelation of something, you don't need to pass that off lightly. Because each time you do, your heart gets just a little harder until eventually people give up on church and they walk away from it because they say there's nothing to that. Be careful with your choices. Keep your heart tender. Keep your heart tender. What would have happened when Moses first walked in the court of Pharaoh and he dropped that stick and he says, I am here representing I am that I am. He says, let my people go. Don't tell me he didn't feel the presence of God. What would have happened if Pharaoh had dropped to the ground on his knees and said, the Lord, he is God. Think about that. Been a whole new story. But because he hardened his heart, the plagues had to come. The chariots had to drown, but it didn't have to be. This morning, as we're getting ready to move into a new year, not only does God want us to reset, empty our pockets, but he wants us to purge ourselves, to cleanse ourselves at the bitter waters of Mara, of all the parasites of Egypt, of all the idolatry of this world, of all the, 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 the things of 2019, the things that are holding you back, holding you down, messing you up. He wants us to purge it. He wants us to stop being bitter and angry with God. Stop blaming him for your wall, your finances, your business, your ministry, your church, your health, your mindset, the hurt, the rejection, the criticism, all that stuff. He said to Israel, I, I know what you think about me. You, you, you think I'm that guy that did the 10 plagues and, and blew a hole in the Red Sea and drowned all those people and, and now you're here and you're scared of me. But he said, I'm Jehovah Rapha. I'm everything you need and I'm the one that wants to make you whole. I'm not going to put frogs in your bed, lice in your hair. I just, I want to be your father. And I want you to be my children. I know that because later in the story, he told them. He said, listen, I'm going to give you my presence, my word. And he said, I'm going to walk among you. He told Israel this. He said, I I'm going to walk in your camp. I I'm going to walk among you. And he said this, I will be your God and you will be my people. What God told them is, listen, we're, we're going to go into the wilderness and you're going to have the, the fire by night and the cloud by day. And, and we're going to camp together. We're going to go camping. 
That's what he told him. He said, I, I, listen, pitch my tent and then put the Levites all the way around it to protect the presence. And then you guys camp all the way. We're going to have a camp out. Going camping. That's what he told you. We're going camping. And, and I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. And, and I'm going to walk among you and, and get to know you. And you're going to get to know me. That's what God wanted. But Israel couldn't do it. We're afraid of him, he said. They said. God said, build me a box. Build me a box. Listen, God wants the bitter to meet the bitter. He wants to purge us of all our misunderstandings and our, our wrong thinking and our mindsets and our all the stuff that we have towards him. He wants to clean all that out. He wants to purge us of all the parasites of Egypt. He wants us to start clean, fresh. And he wants us to know him as Jehovah Rapha. So this morning, I believe the Lord wants to heal you. Your healing may be physical, spiritual, financial, mental, emotional, I don't know. All I know is he wants to heal us. He wants us to understand him. He's a good God. And he loves us. And this coming year, he wants to walk among us and be our God. And we be his people. It's the bitter water of Mara. But you have to drink it because you got to start clean. Thank you for listening to the Cathedral Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit icathedral.org.